Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Are you frustrated and confused about how to attract new clients? Nothing you have done is working and you're tired of waiting for the phone to ring. Imagine learning the tips and tools that will help you get noticed and booked by your ideal client and paid what you're worth for your amazing services. Now's the time to make your dream a reality and the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show will teach you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Did you know that 25% of new businesses don't reach their second year anniversary and that more than 50% don't survive five years? Now, this is according to Small Business Administration in the US. However, these numbers do also hold true across different countries. Now, my guest today is Cynthia Kochowski, and she's the founder of three companies. She's been involved in numerous startups and has also served on various advisory boards. And she's going to share why these new business startups typically fail. In particular, she's going to share why all business startups should ditch the traditional business plan and what they should be doing instead. She'll even talk about how to attract investors before you even get to the stage of actively seeking funding. And she'll also be sharing why most startups eliminate themselves from securing funding because they don't understand what investors want. And also she'll be talking about the common mistakes that entrepreneurs make over and over again and what you should be doing instead to avoid business failure. So let's welcome Cynthia to the show. Welcome to the call, Cynthia. Thank you. Now, you've sent some information across, and I think this is quite staggering, that according to Small Business Administration, 25% of new businesses don't reach their second anniversary and more than 50% don't survive five years. Why is this, Cynthia? Part of the reason is the way entrepreneurs actually start businesses. It's their mindset. So far too many businesses fail unnecessarily. The problems start at the very beginning. I've developed this course called Business Experiments, and the course itself addresses this very initial effort when the entrepreneur has the product idea and wants to start a new business. The reality is that no one starts a new business to fail, but they do. And the problem is entrepreneurs continue to follow the same old method, the same conventional wisdom that causes the, you know, the previous failures. What's happened is that most entrepreneurs are, you know, I call ourselves, we're victims of our own background and experience. You know, we go to school, for example, and the teacher gives us, you know, a pro- shows us a method, they give us a problem, and then they give us more problems, and we use the exact same method to solve those problems. And we do the same thing when we get into, you know, the working world and we go to work for big businesses. But startups aren't the same. Mm-hmm. And so they have to really think, approach their the situation more from it's an experimental startup company. It's not a seed stage company. It's not a series A or an early startup. It's really an experimental startup 
where you're trying to actually discover the right product, the right market, and the right business model. And so what happens is many entrepreneurs who start with the mindset is, I'm going to do the same thing I did in school. I come up with a plan. I execute the plan. Mm-hmm. And you you speak about the business plan and replacing it. And I think that's one of the things you refer to as the old school. You know, we are taught if you want to start a business, create a business plan, get it all down on paper. But you have another approach. Right. The problem that I see with business, I'll tell you the story. Back when I used to work for IBM, that was early in my career, I was evaluating business cases. and I actually wrote business plans for my product area. And the way things work in IBM is when you have a new product and you need to write a business plan, you go get the old business plan or another group's business plan and you bring it over. And what you do is you just modify it because realistically, 95% of the information in there is the same. IBM has a proven process, you know, of doing business where there wasn't any like, you know, what manufacturer are we going to go to because we knew who the manufacturers. It wasn't like, how are we going to do the marketing? Because they had a process for marketing. It mm-hmm. was completely out of our control. What happens with the business plan with a lot of people is they do the same thing, is they research it and they come up with these numbers and they calculate numbers and then, you know, all this information that they're supposed to find. And they come up with, you know, a story because they don't know the answers. How can a, a company on day one really know, like, for example, who their manufacturers are or maybe who their distribution system is? I mean, it's way too early in their you know, company stage. And what happens is they start putting information in there that's literally just made up. Yeah. They pull the numbers out of thin air. They make up the scenarios. And what you end up with is a business plan that's really no different than a fairy tale. It's a, you know, it's a work of fiction. Mm-hmm. And, but what happens is because of that mindset that we have in school, like where we actually sit there and we just, you know, follow the same approach, we actually execute that business plan to failure because we don't think in our mind that business plan is really made up and maybe what we should really do instead is a concept plan, which is similar to a business plan. But in a concept plan, we acknowledge the fact of what's an assumption, what's a guesstimate, what's an estimate, what's the stuff that we met out of thin air. And we figure out, you know, of all the things that are there, what does the business really hinge upon and what is it that we don't know? And so the concept plan allows us to say, we don't know these things, but we're going to have to go run, done a, run a business experiment to figure it out. Mm, yeah. You talk a lot about the business experiments and I guess that's why they're so important and quite powerful because you don't have this made up fairy tale. And, and I'm sure for a lot of entrepreneurs and, and business owners when they're first starting up and they are doing exactly what you've described. Well, you know, where do we want to see ourselves in three years or five years and they pull these figures out of the thin air and for me that just seems so fake you don't connect with it and maybe that's the reason why I hear so many times business plans they're created and then they go and get filed in the the drawer or the cupboard never to see the light of day again and and of course that's not helpful for, for any business at all is it? No, it's not. And I think the problem with a business plan is it gives the illusion that you know what you're doing when in mm-hmm. fact you don't. And I think that with a concept plan in the concept of business experiments, it sets the mindset right up front that this is an experiment and we're expected to fail and we're going to fail our way to success. So instead of being having that fear of failure, we accept it 
we embrace failure and say, this is a good thing. And we're not afraid to do things and then say, okay, well, they don't work. So we'll just have another hypothesis and go back and try something else. Mm. And obviously, you're going to spend a lot more time on supporting a business owner through what is involved in a business experiment. But just for the purposes of listeners today, do you want to just give a very brief overview of some of the things that you would recommend they think about when they're working and developing a business experiment? So some of the things that you want to think about in developing a business experiment is this. So basically, when you're talking about a company at a very early stage, the actual equation for what makes a business is very simple. You have to have a product or a service, you have to have customers, and you have to have revenue. Now, most companies, even if they're funded companies, but even more importantly, if you're self-funded and bootstrap, revenue is very important. So you have to look at your concept plan and say, you know, prioritize the things that mean the most or are most impactful upon revenue mm-hmm. and go after those first. Because so many people I know, like, don't actually do the revenue side of the equation first. That's right. And it's so important, isn't it? They think about, well, let's create this amazing website or these amazing business cards and every, I mean, those are obviously all important. But if you're worrying about that and you're not going out there and seeking clients who are investing in your products and services, you're just not going to generate the revenue. And sooner or later, particularly, I think if you're you're self-funded, you are going to run out of funds. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the, you know, the problem is, the glory of the startup age, you know, the high tech startup age with, you know, with venture capitalists and, you know, angel investment groups is we've now got this, like, you know, all these proof points of people who like didn't have revenue and figured out revenue later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reality is if you, even if you look at what the venture capital companies is, very few of them actually survive. Yeah. yeah they're, you know, and people see the Googles and the Facebooks, but, you know, if you think about it, you know, Dow Jones tracks the venture capital, you know, industry. In the last 10 years, they started 30,000 startup companies. How many startup companies can you name? And it's a handful, but yeah. there were 30,000 of them. 30,000. Wow. That's an incredibly large number, isn't it? And when you mentioned about, you know, product, customers, revenue. I mean, that seems so simple yet so powerful. And if you're concentrating on the revenue generating activities, you know exactly what you should be concentrating on and working towards every single day. And if you're generating income into your business, that's going to allow you to continue to expand. Now, now you talked a little bit about funding and I think I'm just reading here through some of the notes that you said entrepreneurs consider funding to be their biggest problem, yet only 1% of new business proposals ever receive funding. And I know that you speak a bit about how uh, businesses or what they should do to try and attract funding. Do you want to speak a little bit more about that? Certainly. So I live in Silicon Valley and I actually work a lot with venture capitalists and angel investors. And, you know, on any given month, I probably hear 50 to 60 business proposals that people present. One of the biggest problems is that most people don't realize that when you are actually asking an investor to fund your company, To the investor, the company itself is the product. It's not the end product that you're making. It's not the website. It's not the new bicycle. It's literally the company itself. Because what the investor gets out of it, he gets return on investment only when the company changes hands or sold. So for the investor, the startup itself is the company. So he's looking at like, 
is all the features, if you want to say, the features of the product, which is the startup in place. And what does he think about as features is things like what type of team it is. Do they have a strategy for marketing, sales, and distribution? Because all of that is what's going to allow him to get his return on his investment. And so most investors, because like I said, like think about 30,000 companies. Wow, that's a huge number of companies. Even bigger if you consider there are only 15,000 companies on the U.S. public exchanges. That it's, it's a phenomenal number. And so investors want some sort of, you know, proof of concept, you know, that the actual, there is a, a you know, a product, you know, with revenue and customers that works. And they just don't want an idea. In fact, they won't even fund ideas. Mm. And at 1% proposals being funded, you have to realize every other startup out there is actually your competitor. It doesn't matter that you're in clean tech. It doesn't matter that you're making bicycles. That food startup over there is competing for that same pool of funds. Yeah, yeah. And that makes sense what you're talking about because as a startup, you might be so passionate about the product or the services that you're providing, yet for a, for someone, an angel investor who's looking at investing, they want to know, have you done your due diligence? Have you gone out? How are you going to weather the storms or, or get out there? And that's really the information that they're going to be looking for. And I've seen a number of shows here in Australia, and I'm sure you've got them over in the US as well, where you have these startup companies, they may have been running for a little while, and they have to present their idea in front of these venture capitalists, yet they never spend any time in preparing the key information that you've just mentioned. And that's why time and time again, they miss out on um, accessing this funding. Oh, absolutely. Because most entrepreneurs come from a, a technical skilled background. I don't care what that skill is, whether it's baking cakes, you know, whether you're a physician you know, who's treating patients or whether you're an engineer or a programmer or making a website, you have some technical skill that's the actual creation of the product or the service. And what happens, you know, when they go to an investor for funding, all they want to talk about, they want to spend most of their time talking about their wonderful product or service. And the investor is like, okay, I just need to get it. I just need to understand what it is. Okay, now let's move on to the business of the product because that's really what I'm investing in is the business of the product, not the product. And if you think about an investor, you know, if they hear like a 100 presentations or they see a 100 proposals, you know, a month, those proposals, you know, cover the range of everything that's possibly out there in the world that you've ever heard of. Mm. They can't know like, you know, airplanes, you know, to chemical engineering, you know, to how to design a bicycle to like, you know, whether that cookie is a good cookie, you know. <laughs> exactly. And would you recommend for a startup company to have, I mean, obviously traded for some time, and I'm wondering if we can put a definition or a time factor on that time so that the angel investor can see some of the the ground that's already been sort of walked, you know, and perhaps client a client base that's expanded over a period of time. Do they need to show sort of rungs the ladder, so to speak, already when they approach an angel investor? These are numbers for the United States. So in the United States, it's about a $2 million number. So if you can prove annualized revenue of about $2 million, mm. then you're going to be in the candidate to be that 1%. Because almost all of those 1% proposals that are funded are usually people who have somewhere around two, already have $2 million in annualized revenue. Oh, my God. They're not just ideas. They're actually people who have got the actual company to some point. And when I say that, most entrepreneurs really think about funding is one of the things that I 
when I talk to entrepreneurs, I wonder to myself, do you really want to be an entrepreneur? Are you just trying to trade the corporate world, you know, that company is being your employer for the venture capitalist or the investor is being your employer? Mm. Because funding isn't really their problem, resourcefulness is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to talk just a little bit more about that with the resourcefulness? Because I know that listeners are listening and, and they may be thinking of, of approaching, you know, an angel investor or an investor. This is really important. So just what, what do you mean by resourcefulness? Well, the reason they need funding, like when I see a lot of people who need funding, is because they came from the corporate environment. And, you know, as corporations, if you're, they're a big financial engine. And so they're used to having these budgets, like these nice department budgets. And it's very easy to buy your way out of things. So I need to go somewhere and talk to like people in conferences. What do I do? I just sign up for the conferences and I just actually pay my entrance fee and show up and I talk to people. I know this one entrepreneur and he started a company and he says that he's been saving like somewhere between 50 and $70,000 a year going to conferences. And how he does it is he calls the conference organizer up and he goes, I am willing to work for you my volunteer time, you know, to be in this conference. And what I will do is I will register your speakers for you on one day. In exchange, I want admission to the conference the entire time. Wow. And what he gets, not only does he get the free admission, so he doesn't have to pay the, like the, sometimes the $2,000 or the $5,000 fee for the conference or the trade show. Mm-hmm. But he says the reason he specifically asks for the speakers is because they're usually his target customers. And so instead of having to hunt them down, they come to him. So, you know, he needs to talk to the vice president of this company. And here they are. Oh, They're a speaker yeah. at the conference. So he starts the Direct conversation. Yeah. Right? He goes, he speaks, starts the conversation right there. And he goes, you mind if, you know, we set up a time right now and I can meet you later and talk to you about my startup company. And he goes, it works every time. <laughs> Love that example. I mean, that is just a genius, isn't it? And depicts resourcefulness, right? I mean, how many people would really have the guts to do that? I mean, that's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. And a great way not only to get a free ticket, but, you know, to get yourself in front of those key clients. I love that example. Love that. Now, you talk also about some common mistakes, and I know there's probably many, many that we haven't got time for today, but I know that you'll spend more time on through your training course. But what would you say would be, say, the top three mistakes that you see entrepreneurs making? The top mistake I see entrepreneurs making, this is once they actually get started, is that most of them don't focus on revenue. There is so much into the technical background is they spend all this time, you know, they will agonize over every feature, every bell and whistle that goes into the product. But when it comes to actually designing or thinking about, you know, intentionally designing the business model and the business, Mm -hmm. they just start copying their competitors. Mm -hmm. Well, he's charging this much money and he has a service plan like this and he has a helpline like this. So I'm just going to copy him. And it's like, for example, I can tell you this one startup company, they had a software and they were saying, well, we're going to offer absolutely no customer support. You and I know that if you have a new software product, it's going to be buggy. It is. Right. And saying that you're refusing to offer customer support or like is ridiculous. And they're saying, well, maybe we'll make them give us a credit card because Microsoft does that. And I'm like, Microsoft can get away with that. (laughs) You You can't. (laughs) Wow. 
So what, that would be one thing is they focus too much on the product and then and with great intention, great deliberation. But when it comes to the, the actual business around the product, they just like try copying and they think it's easy. Mm. And, so they, and then they try cobbling it together and they need to think about you know, designing the business with as much thought as the product. The second thing that they usually miss is the first big hurdle for a startup company is marketing. And marketing is creating demand for the product. Mm -hmm. And usually simply because, once again, because their backgrounds have come from the technical backgrounds and in large companies, you know, everybody's got their little like piece of the puzzle that they do and things tend to work in this very parallel, you know, more serial fashion than parallel. Yeah. They go through these, you know, a long phase where they'll do product development and then they'll say, okay, now let's start the marketing. You know, like marketing just takes a while. Like people buy products that are familiar to them. And so you need to start doing that marketing as early as possible, even if it's so much as not talking about the product, but talking about the problem. Mm. Um, I think because part of marketing, of course, too, is going out there and ensuring that you really are familiar with the needs and the demands and the issues and problems that your ideal client's struggling with. Because you could create this amazing product that you think, launch it, and then realize, well, no one's interested. And that's because you haven't gone out there and started to, you know, interact with your ideal clients to find out whether or not they're really interested in your product. Absolutely. And the one thing I know about customers or potential clients is that if they have a problem that needs to be solved, even if you don't have a solution today, they're going to be willing to actually talk to you because most of the time they're desperate for an answer to their problems. Mm. And they want somebody to solve their problems for them. That's a really, you know, that's something they have to do is they have to find ways to engage with their customers. And I'll tell you a funny story about a, a another startup that I know. And the marketing director needed to talk to the customers and potential customers and ask them what they would think, what their problems were. And so what he would do is he would actually go to the smaller conferences, not the really big, big ones that have like, you know, 30,000 people. He'd go to the smaller conferences and he goes, the conference organizers will actually, if you call them, will send you the list of who's attending. And he'd figure out who he wanted to talk to at the conference. He'd stake out the restrooms. Oh, really? <laughs> he would, because he'd go, because it was a small enough conference, usually only had, you know, one set of restrooms or two. Mm. And he would just go to the restroom and then he would read their badges. Badges, yeah. And he yeah. goes, he would wait until they would exit the restroom. And then as he was walk, they were walking back to wherever they were going, he'd have a conversation with them. I love it. There's <laughs> another resourcefulness, per- resourceful person for you. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, what a great way to establish relationships. Yeah, and connections. Incredible. Because <laughs> yeah. he goes, you know, people aren't walking back from with the restroom to like with the meeting room and they're never, they're, not, they're just not doing anything, right? So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Exactly. You know, and just think, I can just almost imagine that, you know, him talking about his, the best client. Where did you meet this, you know, client? Ah, in the restroom. Can you imagine that as a story? <laughs> oh, I tell you what though, isn't it incredible that there are opportunities there all the time, yet we just don't recognize them. And when we think a little bit out of the square and and listen to similar stories that you're sharing about how other people were resourceful, we recognize just how we can go out and and seek these uh, opportunities as well. So I absolutely agree. Marketing is so very important. What would you say the third biggest mistake would be? The third business biggest mistake is not thinking about 
I guess it becomes a funding because at some point, if you really want to be a really, really big company, okay, you're not going to avoid the funding issue. Mm. And probably the problem with, and I, I hear this all the time from entrepreneurs who've actually gotten to that stage where they have like that one or two million dollars in revenue is they thought that once they had that, that would be it. Like they'd snap their fingers and the investor would be there. Mm. And what they didn't realize is that when you do funding, for example, it can be easily be a nine month deal. I mean, it's a sales process. Mm-hmm. And that's probably something that they don't realize. It is a sales process. You're selling the company. Sales is another thing that I think that most entrepreneurs don't understand because they don't have sales backgrounds. I rarely have ever seen the salesperson start a company. I don't think I've ever seen actually seen a salesperson start a company, a marketing person, but not a salesperson. They have this vision that if you ask them how they're going to do sales, it's going to be, well, we're going to hire this superstar salesperson and he's going to love our product and sell it. (laughs) You know, good salespeople want to get paid out at the toilet breaks. (laughs) Right. You know, good salespeople get commission. You know, Mm -hmm. they want to work a hundred percent commission. They're going to go where their talents can bring them the most money. They're not going to work for a startup company. And when I ask entrepreneurs, I said, well, you know, how are you going to do sales? And I, they're like, well, we know it's going to talk to people. And and sales is a very orchestrated, you know, process. Yeah. That whole process has a process too. Yeah. You have to come. it's, It's a systematic process. And a salesperson wants to come in when it, the uh, truth is the salesperson wants that you were looking for wants to come in when they see you like you have, you've managed to get that one or two million in revenue, usually about one million in revenue. Mm-hmm. And they think like, wow, you got a million in revenue and you know this little about sales. Wow. If I come in here, I can really close a lot of deals because you really don't know what you're doing. <laughs> But it's amazing the number of people I run into and with entrepreneurs and I say, well, you know, if you don't understand that sales is a systematic process, you should go to a workshop on sales. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll tell me, oh, no, no, we can't spend our money that way. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. You cannot invest to learn more about how to increase sales and i.e. revenue. Yeah. That's just incredible. So those are such three very important things. And I think when any business is not really achieving in any of those three areas, they really can diminish, you know, their, their business success. So very, very important. So Cynthia, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the training? Because we've talked very briefly about some of the key areas, and I know that you spend quite a bit more time and support in those areas. So tell us a bit more about this training. Okay, so the training goes through concept planning and business experiments. And the whole flow of this thing starts with the concept plan. And so it goes through like, how do you write a concept plan? Like, what do you need to put in your concept plan? And how do you go out and, for example, once you have your concept plan, you know, you can refer to it as the inside and the outside concept plan. The inside plan being the one that you might have. Mm-hmm. Now, you can take that concept plan and you can actually go to like investors, for example, or mentors or advisors or potential customers with, you know, with a shortened version of that concept plan and say, what do you think? So start getting that feedback early and it says, how do you structure those different type of plans and get that feedback mm-hmm. so that you have a first, you know, a fairly good stake in the ground the first time. Because you, know, you want to be as close to a viable product as you possibly can be. And then the second part of the course talks about, okay, now that you've got this, you know, you start, you figured out that stake in that ground. Now let's look at the things that, you know, you've identified, you know, let's identify those things, your biggest and most impactful things on like making this thing, you know, vision come true. 
And then let's start designing business experiments to either, you know, prove those things out or to fill in all of those unknowns and turn them into facts so that you can eventually have a business that can be scaled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very important. And so, Cynthia, if they want to find out a bit more information about that training course, how do they get in contact with you? Okay, you can get in contact with me through my website. It's www.cynthiakachowski.com and I'll spell my name because no one can ever actually figure spell it from the pronunciation. It's C-Y-N-T-H-I-A and then K-O-C-I-A-L-S-K-I. Com. And the course itself is on a website called Udemy, which is U-D-E-M-Y, and you could do a search on business experiments and the course would come up. Fabulous. And of course, for those of you who are listening to this podcast via the podcast network, you can just scroll a little bit below and you'll be able to click directly through to those links. And of course, if you're listening from our iTunes channel or some other channel, then come a proper cross to the website and you can click through across and find out more about Cynthia's course. Look, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, just sharing your wisdom, I think is just so important, particularly for those listeners who are in startup phase and even for businesses to recognize just how important it is to have those things in place and to ensure that we may not be making the same mistake, you know, with trying to copy other businesses. Our business plan is not really, you know, we haven't put much thought into it or it is a, we feel like it's a pie in the sky and not thinking about marketing and sales. So very important for all ambitious entrepreneurs. So thank you once again for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. As a business coach and marketing mentor for ambitious entrepreneurs, one of the things that I like to do is to share an inspirational business tip. And today's inspirational business tip has to do with pricing. And this is something that you might be struggling with as well. So I hope this tip is helpful for you. Now, when you are pricing your services, so you're putting together packages and programs for your clients, as you are pricing those services, make sure that you include all of your overheads and not just the time that you are spending in delivering that particular service and package. For instance, you would probably have a VA, a virtual assistant, to help you create some of your worksheets and templates. You need to include that in your pricing structure. You also have other overheads such as electricity, your heating, your office rental if you are hiring out an office uh, as part of your business. All of these are overheads which need to be incorporated into your pricing structure. Other overheads include telephone, your cell, mobile costs, um, advertising costs. All of those need to be proportioned and included in your pricing strategy to ensure that you are charging what you're worth, getting paid what you're worth for the amazing services that you offer. So the next time you're putting something together and you're thinking about a pricing structure, think about the overheads and any overheads that you have, include them all and then proportion that and include it within your pricing structure to make sure that you are not undervaluing and undercharging for your services. So hope that was helpful for you. And until next time, stay inspired. This is Anne-Marie. So what about you? Are you an ambitious entrepreneur who's created a business plan in the past, yet your business plan is sitting, collecting dust in a drawer? What tips and strategies have you found really helpful today? Let us know on our various social media uh, platforms. You can connect with us on Twitter, which is at The Ambitious Pod. Our Twitter handle again is at The Ambitious Pod. You can reach out and comment on Facebook. All you need to do is search for The Ambitious Entrepreneur Show on Facebook. We want to hear from 
inform you. And of course, if you are already on our show page, you can like us, you can share us, you can comment below. Uh, And we always love to hear what you're doing in your business and of course appreciate any uh, sharing and liking that you do for our shows with your community. And of course, if you're listening to us on our iTunes channels, it's great to connect with you. We want to connect with you on our social media platforms as well. So pop across and say hi and let us know what you're doing in your business. You've been listening to the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show. Do you want to promote your business to tens of thousands of other ambitious entrepreneurs, both nationally and internationally? I invite you to reach out and learn more about our customized sponsorship packages by emailing beasponsor at ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com. That's beasponsor at ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com and we'll send you out further details. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.